All right. Let's Welcome get back. into it. Welcome back. Mythophalia series, anti-fragility. Boom. It's dense. We've talked about it before on the podcast. Good book. The Taleb series was good fun. I'm only... A lot of people discovered it. Luke's come back to it. Yes. After months of having his brain stretched, I guess, by all our combos and all your other combos you have with great people. And do you want to do you want to give a crack at explaining anti fragility? Anti-fragility? Remember the three, three, yeah. So the three things, the three levels. Taleb goes into describing describing things, events, stuff like that. Yeah, it's pretty wide ranging. Yeah. It's very wide ranging yeah. into three different categories. Yep. First being the fragile, yep. and he starts off the book in the premise of being like, "What's the opposite of, what's the opposite of fragile?" Yeah, and and so what what's fragile? Do you remember the example he uses? He uses for uh, he uses like a things that are react negatively to stress. For example, yeah, like, like a cup. Yeah, yeah, like glass. I always think of glass. Glass is Not fragile. Glass, but more like the window or the bottle, like. Yeah. Breaks easy. Breaks easy. Yeah. Is, yeah, responds negatively to stress. Yeah. And then he asks the question, what's, what's the opposite of uh, fragile? Do you know what the other level is? Robust. Robust. What's robust? Robust is, it's strong against stress. Very. Yeah. Yeah, It's resistant. Resistant. Yeah. Yeah. Any example? What's the example he uses? I don't know. Diamond maybe yeah not necessarily diamond the phoenix he uses the example of the phoenix oh like the so if anyone's yeah, seen yeah, harry yeah. potter the phoenix will die but it just comes back it's not stronger than before necessarily it's the same mm. so robust is like stresses don't make it stronger or weaker it yep. retains its current strength and then we come to the top level which is anti-fragility 10 points yep which is gains gains from disorder and stress yep example mm good example personal example is stressing the body yeah exercise. Due, due to physical exercise yeah, running gym running gym those stresses cause a reaction in the body that yep. actually makes you stronger yeah to um, a certain point and the example he uses in the book is hydra the oh, old, yeah, the old right. thing where it's you cut off one head to grow back mm. so the more you attack it the stronger it actually gets now why we talk about this with myth of failure is because these these you can put the things in society i guess and the things we try to do and the way we are as people into these kind of buckets uh, a good example to correlate this with what we've already talked about when we talked about the fixed versus growth mindset mm. which was probably the third or fourth episode in this series you know the growth mindset is a very anti-fragile mindset if you remember because the, the, yeah. the growth mindset carol dweck's growth mindset is like a challenge is like a positive thing for someone who's in a growth mindset. Like, oh, running is difficult. I'm going to figure it out. The fact that it's difficult makes it appealing. So it's actually positive. So that stressor is actually like reinforce, positively reinforcing. Mm. So you actually gain, you, you gain with that mindset. So I think it's very, one interesting application of this is thinking about it on the level of the mind. Now, <laughs> like, try not to pick on my mum too much but find a different example like you you know people who are fragile mm. right who are easily upset who you know you make the slightest like bad comment and that they go off right the, the slightest thing like you know like if you think about a control freak you know what i mean like someone or someone with ocd or someone has an extreme example like you vary one thing 
and and they lose it if you've seen the movie rain man with dustin hoffman and and uh, tom cruise like he's got autism and like you know that they put a lot of emphasis on routine and order for someone with autism normally because you they're very particular you vary it and they can't handle being taken away from routine which is order consistency right? mm -hmm. and we all have that threshold now some people are robust you know like they get challenged and they're like they come back you know what i mean <clears throat> they, they take the blow but they keep going you know like the boxer but then the anti-fragile mindset is a very powerful way to be right and i don't want to how do you, i think the people who focus on awareness right no matter what they do entrepreneurs writers parents anyone yeah whatever i think it tends to be very anti-fragile the reason is for the stuff we've explored in the series because i'm going to argue that like most of reality is anti-fragile which is like you can come back to the slingshot principle yeah so why we did this as a series is that these ideas build on each other it's like a, a, a pyramid not to be confused <laughs> not to be confused with the, the pyramid, pyramid scheme, scheme. we'll recruit you if don't this worry. ends up as a cult they will come back to this episode as proof <laughs> he actually said it they, these things build on each other the slingshot <laughs> yeah. principle was that the the worst case scenario becomes the best case scenario which is anti-fragility which is anti-fragility yeah and i use the example of nelson mandela mm. you know not only did he become a either president or prime minister after he was released from prison but he's become a historical example and has a, a, a very thousand doors like continual effect throughout so history because of his story and the example there's and, been lots of gain from that disorder there's been lots of gain from that disorder from yep. imprisoning him yep. when people ask me you know i remember someone asked me well it happens occasionally like or oh, what if you get negative comments because of the stuff you say and if you say this about the education system or vice versa and I go, to be honest, it's probably the best thing that can happen. Because <laughs> the more negative stuff people say about you in the modern digital world, the more, the more exposure, volume, more exposure yeah. it gets. Look at um, Trump. Yeah, Donald Grant, Trump. Grant Cardone. Grant Cardone showed Alex Hormozzi. These are two internet YouTube, YouTube figures, yep. if you don't know them. He showed him his website traffic. He goes, look, when I stir shit up and I say controversial, divisive things, I get way more website traffic. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I like, don't condone that at all, by no, the way. No, but that's the reality. That's confusing the goal of what you should pursue in life. Well, look at, look at Andrew Tate. Have yeah, you, yeah. It's like he's yeah. saying the most outlandish, yeah. quite disgraceful yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so these are people who know how to play that game. And he's, but he is playing the game. Yeah. And then people that are opposed to him are actually growing him yeah yeah exactly so uh, they, they call it the barbara streisand effect they put a photo of where barbara streisand oh, lived and she yeah. tried to get it hidden and her attempt to get it hidden actually just made it go everywhere yeah. the same thing tend to happen with gorka the old controversial news outlet that you know peter till famously brought down by being very subtle and using hulk hogan as a front good book by ryan holiday called conspiracy about that but they would get away with doing the most outlandish stories about celebrities because the more they tried to fight it the more it would just spread it mm. so it's anti-fragile taleb uses the example as an author taleb is very <laughs> anti-fragile oh <laughs> well, yeah he's very divisive here he is on the back because he goes if i if i do something wrong in the news 
unlike a lawyer or someone who works in the corporate world, I don't get fired and disgraced and cut out of Hollywood or anything. No. I sell more books. Yeah. I think he <laughs> searches he searches for economists to argue with on Twitter and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, he probably does. And he now, says he enjoys see, it. If you don't get emotional, if you don't let these things take you personally, which yeah. normally is being either very egotistical or having a lot of love for yourself is probably the two ways you get there. <laughs> um, maybe not mutually exclusive. Then you, you can like deal with that. Now, I have no time for the people who do this as a justification for playing the game. I want to make that clear personally. So the Grant Cardone thing, if that's true, that was secondhand. I watched Alex Hormozzi talk about that in an interview. I think there's a lot of confusion that anything that leads to more business is, is good, right? Not everyone, if that takes that to grow the business, the business probably is a, has a flawed foundation and it probably shouldn't exist, mm. right? I don't find any justification with my current awareness for just, just playing the game for its own sake. It, it, there's a lot of self-delusion there well I mean, you can think of just before you get into it yeah. the, the andrew tate example right yep. he's anti-fragile yep. but it doesn't mean his message yep. is positive yeah at all it yep. just means the the consequence of whatever he's yep. doing is anti-fragile it, it happens on levels yeah right you got the whole of the universe's fragility or anti-fragility and the, the the common goal of all people mm. right when you're fully aware you are thinking about that you think about how are we like we're all part of one team. <laughs> That's we're very, like a big company, it's right? Kumbaya, like a big company. It's very kumbaya. <laughs> we're like one big company, but obviously there can be competition and infighting within a company. But yep. the whole kind of all living things are really part of one. You know, it's one positive sum game. That's yep. the so when people try and play the game against others, or they try to sell at the expense of others they're slicing that off and they're making they're making the highest good something within their control you know what i mean whereas that ultimately the highest good is the nelson mandela is beyond you transcends your life anyway so i don't give any credence to those people who are like do it in that way and the donald trump way all right i don't think there's any point doing it where this is value is when it does come down to doing the right thing anti-fragility tends to be on your side that's that's where there is a lot of value to this idea. Mm. So that's the example of if I'm doing something I believe in and it's an unpopular opinion. The reality is that, as what's his name, Justin Walsh would say, you know, po being polarizing is actually part of the point. If you're trying to, Seth Godin's behind this idea too. Like if you're trying to just please everyone, you'll be averaging out so much. What you're saying is so thin <laughs> that it, you're saying nothing. Yeah. Right yeah it's like what's the what's the number one song what's the number one movie it's, it's a it, hollywood becomes so thin in what it's creating because it's trying to appeal to this mass audience yeah it, to speak the truth you got to like let the people who don't understand you or don't see your point let them disagree and let them be and if you care too much about their opinion that's that's your problem really like you're you're it's, it's on the axis of people pleasing, mm. you know, like, oh, I don't want anyone to be upset with me. Like, I'm not looking for people to be upset with me. I don't, at the time of making this podcast, I'm not picking fights with people on the internet. I don't get into YouTube comments or anything like that. I don't have nearly enough attention for that, but I, we've talked about how we don't fancy the Jordan Peterson 
thing as much anymore. Of like getting caught, he gets caught in a lot of tussles with people, and I'm not sure that they all. He gets a lot of shit thrown at him, but you know, trying to logically have every one of those conversations is probably not. Like, well, it's just throwing yourself into culture wars, basically. Yeah, and yeah, then. Yeah. Ultimately, that becomes your life yeah. and your message. I have a lot of respect for that guy, but he's, oh, kinda, yeah. he's caught in that, you know, for, for yeah. one reason, for whatever reason. But I think that doing the right thing tends to be quite anti-fragile. What I mean by that is sometimes you have a level of comfort in employment, stable salary, in people that aren't upset with you, people like you. And there's a level of comfort in that. Often the level of comfort you've become accustomed to. And sometimes doing what you really want to do or doing what's right or both looks like it comes at the cost of that comfort. I was watching an episode of that. I don't know if you've ever seen the show, The Newsroom this morning. Sean, I was watching it this morning. I don't know if you've ever seen it. No. But it's Aaron Sorkin wrote the show and he's also done, he was also writer for A Few Good Men, the movie. So I think it's a bit of a theme. And it's basically about people who are trying to do the actual news, not bullshit evening news. And the scene I was watching, they come up with a new form of debate for parliament. Sorry, for the for like interviewing people going for president, where they actually ask them proper questions and don't let them waffle off. Mm. And you know they have to they have to get someone decides who gets to do the debate, which news show does right? They have the power. And so, oh, what's the actor's name? The character's called Will McAvoy. It's the guy. He's the guy from Dumb and Dumber with Jim Carrey. Mm. I've forgotten his name temporarily. Great actor. So he's the news anchor and they come, those guys come in, they, he pitches to them showing how they would do it. They demonstrate it. And then, but one, one of the guys that comes in is his friend. The other is like this bureaucratic kind of guy, like politicians are never going to go for this, you know, and we're not letting you do it this way. And we're going to give it to someone else. The other guy who's his friend is like, we always talked about, you know, Will McAvoy He's like, we always talked about doing it like this, but he's the number two. He doesn't get the actual final say. So he, he, he sticks up for it. It's like, this is how it should be. You know, we've got to serve the public, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, he goes at the end, he goes, I'm sorry, you know, I can't do this. I can't stand up against that guy. I need my job. I've got two kids at Stanford. <laughs> now, this is a situation I think a lot of people will find themselves in that probably listen to this, especially younger people. Maybe not as like black and white, like justice, but even the justice of doing what you really want to do with your life or what you, what you think is valuable to work on is that people think, people think it's like you're, if you go away from the kind of comfortable and stable thing, I don't think people should do it for the sake of it. But if you go away from it, there's this perception that you, the risk is you could fail. I'm going to suggest if you're looking at a full reality, it's not possible. Okay. Because often what you're, what you're actually talking about is a short-term dip in one or more metrics. Mm. That's the reality. There's a story, Dave Chappelle, right? The comedian, his dad, what did they do? His dad wouldn't do something in his work because they were working with the South African government at the time when apartheid was still in place. So his dad protested wouldn't do it because of ethics and lost his job. I don't know the full details, but he had a family. Chappelle was a lot. Dave Chappelle was alive mm. in that. So yeah. he's like, it was difficult for our family. 
created tension in the marriage between his parents. Now, it's like, if I was a father, I'm not a father yet, I would struggle to do that. Yeah. I'm sitting here talking about, I would, I'm not, you know, currently single, no, you know, none of that, I don't, less, less financial pressure, right? I mean, I, I, it's, it's not easy, right? But think about these concepts. You think about anti-fragility, you think about the slingshot, you think about the thousand doors. What's the ripple effect of someone doing that? What sort of message does that send to other people who work in that situation? I, mean, I think about who is Dave Chappelle as a person now? Hmm. That guy sticks up for a lot of justice in my mind. I have, a lot, I have a ton of respect for him. He's the whole comedian blend, philosopher blend. Good social commentator for me. Yep. He calls out a lot of bullshit. He's spoken about the truths in Hollywood that a lot of people are scared to talk about and, and, and the machine and how they control people. And he fought to pry himself free from that. And so he creates a lot of leadership in society. And he's told, told that story about his dad. So what is the cost of his dad not doing it? You know what I mean? Look at, mm. the, look at the impact of it. But the other thing, even much more like every day, right is that you know i don't have that kind of comfortable i'm not in the kind of comfortable salaried position myself right on the path i'm taking and this is my path is not successful if i manage to get paid doing something like the podcast that's not that's not the that's not where the flag will be planted because the reality is even if i wanted to change what i was doing or focusing on project wise if you really give things a good shot, you kind of end up further ahead than when you would have otherwise started. So there's a thing in startups where startups love hiring people who ran failed startups. A lot of them make a point of it. A lot of there's venture capitalists who very much like investing in founders who have failed before. Some, not all of them, I'm not going to pretend it's all of them, but this is from friends in the ecosystem. Talk about it. Because that's someone who's been really humbled, who has learnt a lot, but is still willing to give it a go. Hmm. And really, there is no, like, you can't draw, I don't think you can really draw a line and call something failure, because everything just rolls into the next thing you're doing. Yeah. The game is never over, therefore, <laughs> you're just playing. It's like, I didn't score that goal, but I, I scored the next shot, and who cares, I'm just enjoying the game. And I'm just trying to get as many goals as I can, but it's ultimately about enjoying the game. Mm. And everything I do is like a learning. So it's all feeding back in. And, you know, personally, even if I was to go get a job, let's say I was going to go get a job today. Versus when I was like focused on real estate, the people I've now met because of the things I've done without having made a lot of money doing the last two years, what I've been doing, the skills I've gained and the relationships I've gained if I was to get a job, it would probably be within that network. And that network is a great network of people. Not just people in positions of authority, but good people. People I think have good values. And so ironically, I'm further ahead of where I would have been in, in a career game sense. But obviously I don't even put much, uh, as you know, I don't put much weight on the career game. I just let that take care of itself at this point. Yeah. And I try and focus on joy and, and ethics kind of and and service try always a work in progress 
So you got, I guess, why I'm bringing up anti-fragility is you got these two levels of the only time you you don't see that you think very short term. We tend to think very short term about well, I have money for a year or two years and all that. And I don't say it's easy, and I don't think always doing the right thing if if work or something doesn't align with who you want to be or there's something you don't feel ethical about. It's not always just just quit is the message. It's not always just unenroll at the slightest sign of trouble. It's for, I think, good conscience exercise and thinking and good discernment. And it's very individual. It must be. There's no prescription. There's no best for all. But the point I sit on is I think that the long t- in the long t- when you have a long-term view, when you have an open mind, when you think beyond yourself that the point of life is not your own survival, can't be limited to that. That's just part of it. When you have that, reality is anti-fragile. And, and, and the threads of that, evolved, that, that, that stitching is all the threads we've talked about in the other episodes. The slingshot principle, the Chinese farmer, the fact that you, if you could control it, you wouldn't even really want to. I understand that's a complex set of ingredients to bake together. No one's going to get that in one hit. I still have this default of like, but where am I going to get this? And where am I going to get that? And, and what am I going to do about that? And what if I want a family soon? And then I think, I remember reality. <laughs> And like all it is that uh, all those things are in place, but it's not as tangible as it could be. It's not in black and white. It's not a certain, but I have a great network. I have lots of great skills. I have lots of great people. There's plenty of things I could do to pull, pull more out of the money lever. If I had to, I don't. And, and I can see the ripple effects of even the very small things I do, the positive ripple effects. And I see how much I learn. And the value of that learning compounding over time and the relationships I have and them compounding over time and everything kind of negative that's happened has really, I've found that eventually found the slingshot of it. It's always there. Mm-hmm. It's not just trying to reframe things in a positive way. It's like, I think it's the reality. It's just to be observed. You don't have to manufacture it. You don't have to fabricate it. I mean, these are all the things I think about. I think that's why, like, it's a, it's maybe a bit dense, this whole anti-fragility. And there's this commercial way of, of doing it, but I'm more interested in the, that's, that's the picture. Like, you, you, the Dave Chappelle thing, very powerful. Very powerful, mm. you know? And what I think, I don't know how you feel about this at this point in time, but I don't give much weight to the idea of sacrifice. Hmm. I don't, I don't really believe in sacrifice. It looks like sacrifice when someone has, when someone else values the thing that you've given up or gone without, they, it looks like sacrifice to them. But really when you chase the real things and when you do the right thing, it it doesn't really feel like it. It doesn't feel like you've made a trade-off. It feels like you're just optimizing for the thing that actually brings you the real stuff. Drinking's a bit like that. Drinking is a great example. Mm. Sacrificing. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, you've sacrificed all those good times and all that. It's like, (laughs) well, it's funny. I'm actually having the time of my life, but that wouldn't make sense to the person who's really getting a lot out of drink, getting a lot of memories and funny moments. And 
don't know they're picking up or whatever i don't know from drinking mm. it does yeah it doesn't make, that won't make sense it looks like i've sacrificed it and the funny thing is when i did slow down drinking again it wasn't like oh, i need to make this sacrifice and bite the bullet it just fell out of my bucket yeah so rather than trying to push things out it's so much easier to just focus on what's better to transcend them and i don't think people should live feeling like they've sacrificed something i don't think that's actually right so if you feel like you're sacrificing something i don't think don't do it or just be patient there's the i can't remember her name but there's this author who spent seven years working as a lawyer corporate making a lot of money and then decided i'd rather be a failed writer than a successful lawyer she was on Tim. I can't remember. She's done a good TED talk. I can't remember her name or anything she's written, but that line just sticks with me. Of course, failed writer just means failed commercially. Um, the real failure of a writer is failing to write authentically, I think. Failing to write what's true. Trying to cater towards outcomes rather than just letting it ensue. Some guy on LinkedIn yesterday, a friend of mine, journalist from the UK, he's like, what, what do we define copywriting to be? And he's like, well, I think copywriting is when you're writing to get a sale and you're deliberately trying to lead someone towards an action. And I thought, I guess copywriting is probably just a big ton of smoke then. (laughs) (laughs) Because the outcome people take or the action they take or the sale should just ensue. And I think writing is just writing. I think we've invented things like copywriting and all that because we have this... We, we get to narrow into our objectives. Hmm. Yeah, but people wouldn't understand that. And so you can be a failed copywriter, apparently. But I would argue that what the fuck's copywriting? <laughs> <laughs> and people will fail imagined, made up things. Like being a failed actor, or being a failed musician, or being a failed leader, or a failed businessman. And... You, know, you don't live on the level of reality, which is, what the fuck's business anyway? What is it? Where, where does it exist? What is it? Harari, who wrote Sapiens. Mm. Where does, where does uh, Facebook exist? You know, point, point it to the map. Is it the building? No, it's a, it's a paper somewhere, or often pixels somewhere, this agreement, blah, 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 sign, the deeds, or whatever it is. Gives the Peugeot example. It's just a story. Mm. You know what I mean? It's a story, and it's an idea, and it's, it's a construct but you would measure your self-worth against how this invented thing fares. Hmm. You know what I mean? At, at the end of the day, we don't live on that because we're, we're in the office. We have this whole people are behaving a certain way. They're upset because we didn't make the quote or whatever, or you have a performance review and like, or you didn't meet the expectations of it. It's all create. It's made, it's made to be the reality, but what's it intrinsically based in? Like essentially nothing, mm. but we will judge ourselves according to all this stuff. But it's just, it's just like layers of human behavior and judgment just stacked on top of each other. So you can't see what was at the bottom and where it all began. That's, that's it. Mm. That's society. Exactly. Silence. Right? Don't you, have any way to color you, that. You've said it. You've said it perfectly in saying nothing. There's nothing to say. There's nothing to worry about. 
there's nothing to do you know it's it's funny like i'm not gonna pretend i've ever thought oh shit what if what i'm doing doesn't work out and then you, you ask what does not working out fucking mean again and what's gonna happen are we gonna starve to death is what i say to people especially people who live in sydney i go failing not having money i get all right maybe not having to move and it's just what we fear is probably change mm. like are, you, are we gonna end up homeless we end up starving to death. And I think. I always think yeah. other people live tribally. You know yeah. what I mean? Like they don't live in houses. Whenever I, whenever <laughs> I, whenever I start, I don't thinking, want to live that way. But I'm just no. like I'm, I'm well, doing the thought experiment. You know what I mean? Well, I do the thought experiment with myself, being like, if you what, if you're fearful about certain things in your job, it's like, yeah. I, I can always get it. I can always get another job. Yeah, exactly. But if I if I can't, I have much bigger problems. Yeah, like something's so gone wrong physically, about. or exactly. you know what I mean. Exactly. So and that's, like, that's what we're really we're really worried about. So there's nothing really scary that can actually happen if you believe everything in the other episodes. There's nothing actually like scary. That, like a lot of people lost their jobs with COVID, but they found something they loved more, and it was mm. the excuse to change. Mm. What's painful is the change of state. I love swimming, but it's still fucking cold to get in. Yeah. All I'm really fearing is the anticipation, and it's not even the f- experience itself of change, it's the anticipation of it. Because the cold feeling is not actually that painful. That's why they say the anticipation of torture is often worse than the actual torture. <laughs> you know, I'm scared to jump in the pool just because it's cold, but it's only cold for a split second and it's not even that bad. Mm. And then I'm swimming. You know, it's, it's the change of state that we fear. And it's really all in the anticipation. So the anticipation is not the actual thing. The anticipation's all here. Mm. And that's astro barking. And that's all it is. Job interviews are like that. Job interviews, oh, perfect example. Mm. That's why Paul, who I'm doing the book with, there's this beautiful story he wrote, and I put it in the book. It's a true story around some lady was waiting for an interview with him. And he walks in and he pretends that he's also interviewing and he just sits next to her and starts talking to her. And they just have this lovely chat or whatever and talking about this <laughs> and that. And then his receptionist is sitting there going, so Paul, are you going to bloody go in and start interviewing? And he goes, I think we'll give this, this girl the job. She's great. You know what I mean? Just caught her completely off guard. The defense is down. And the uh. lady's like, what? You're the boss? <laughs> That's good. That's good. You know, I, I don't know if I told this story on the podcast yet, but when I was, did a film course once, this director, she said, this trick we do with actors auditioning is that we pretend we're warming up. So mm. we're just like, I'm just going to record, but I'm just setting up the camera. So you just do a practice run while I'm fixing that. And that way you can be warm, ready to go and settle the nerves. Because often they get the best take when they feel like they're not being recorded because mm. you neutralize the nerves a bit. <laughs> yeah and you know but yeah the the concept of uh, to bring this down it's very high level so to bring anti-fragility down to what's actionable and useful to people i think about it on the level of these these are these are these are there's a lot of ideas here we've talked about right so it's not all easy to remember the next time something goes wrong the next time you're fearful of something but if in whatever shape way shape or form you keep coming back to them embedding these ideas in the way you're thinking and and living is like developing your own anti-fragile mindset to me 
You know what I mean? It's like it, one night you fail on, you know, on Wednesday night you've, you've failed in inverted commas and something and Thursday morning you're smiling going, oh, I wonder what the slingshot's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is, it's, it's never quite like that. No. But that's, that's where you get, you become bulletproof. That's the value. You really become bulletproof because all these things that happen are negative are actually positive. And I used to do this when people vandalized my real estate signboards. I don't remember <laughs> this. People would graffiti my real estate, you know, for sale, for rent. Yeah, yeah. People would put text on them, draw a generous sized dick on me and stuff like that. And then I would just make videos or whatever and put them on Instagram or YouTube, or whatever. Like, see how afraid of us everyone, you know, everyone is. <laughs> see how afraid they are. They're vandalizing our signs. And that was better than having the actual sign. Yeah. That was the best thing. And, and, and we laughed at it. And when I re reflect, that's almost the best example of what we're talking about in myth of failure mm. is this indestructibility you have in your life. And you just, you can just go and enjoy it and thrive then if that's the case. So that's the point there. Anything from you to conclude on anti-fragility or any of that? Just the, just the, I love Taleb fan club. I love Taleb. Oops, sorry. I love and Taleb. I know, well, oh, geez, no, reading the book and understanding the chances of having Taleb on the podcast are very low. But if you ever, if you ever, <laughs> Mr. Taleb, I find you hilarious. <laughs> Anti-fragile systems. And your ideas are fantastic. <laughs> Please. And yeah, economists, I know. They're economists. Bit, yeah, you don't like them. That's but it. no, it's, it's one of those things where... It's very applicable. It's very applicable to mm. most situations. And when you look at anti-fragility, he talks about different things and different situations. But if you talk about mindset, mm. being anti-fragile, that's probably the most useful. Yeah, because I would have been, I was afraid once upon a time just to like make films. Mm. I was afraid just to make them, right? When I started the podcast though, a lot of people, including you, get nervous when they start podcasting. I wasn't nervous. Because the things I'd done before that, I'd been beaten over the head by so many different things. It was like, it was nothing. It was a mm. bloody walk in the park. Yep. You know what I mean? I was not self-conscious, wasn't worried about listening to myself, worried about what people would say, only because of the experiences I'd been through before. And there's a thing in stand-up, stand-ups where it's good to bomb early in your career, which bomb means like no one laughs at a joke. Yeah, and you're kind of standing it's up. It's good stage, to get used to it. Yourself, it helps yeah. you develop your intuition earlier on a smaller stage than later. You can be in a packed theater and you just go for it. Mm. Yeah. Whereas the ones that don't bomb early, it's almost like they're worried about them. So they're, they're carrying the risk and it's growing. It's actually better for it to happen early. So better in anti-fragile, the book, they talk about it's good to have the small, what we call, if we're going to call something failure, the micro failures. Yeah. The small ones, lots of small ones. We'll talk about this with risk seesaw. Lots of small failures means no big failures for whatever you're actually valuing. That means you're anti-fragile. Yeah, then, yeah, yeah. Because it's always stressed to a certain point. It's like exercise creates long-term health. Yes. And what it is is small damage every day to your muscles. Yeah. All right. If you fail at like 10 small businesses first, the 11th will probably be really good. You've learned yep. a lot. You can actually sustain that. Yeah. 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 He uses so, the classic example is the restaurant business. Yeah. It's, it's very, the reason we have nice tasting food yeah. <laughs> is because the restaurant business is anti-fragile. Yeah. Essentially. I don't think it is though. I think restaurants are actually fragile. That he uses the example that 
the restaurant industry the restaurant, as an so aggregate. Is, the restaurant industry as a whole probably won't go away. But no. any individual restaurant is probably like a really risky investment. Yeah. But if you say, will there be restaurants in five years? Mm. Yeah, there will be some. So that's I think, like, yeah, yeah. that's the U-curve of certainty idea, which yeah. we'll talk about too. Yeah. Well, he's saying in, I think entrepreneurship. He talks about entrepreneurship, how we should have Entrepreneur's Day because yep. we learn more from failed entrepreneurs than successful ones. Yeah. All right. It's, it's more useful knowing what doesn't work. Yeah. Via negativa than what does work, mm. for example. So I'm a serial failed entrepreneur by what they would call a failed entrepreneur. God, what I've learned is invaluable. Can't, yes. can't, no, one, no, no one has what I've learned in that way. You know what I mean? It's so valuable to me, mm. but it's, it's educated me as much in these areas of what we talk about in these conversations than even like business, you know what I mean? Even business itself. It's just taught me more about life. It's been where I, it's been the lab laboratory where I observe this stuff. So yeah, it's hard to fail. I think people should try to fail. If that makes sense. Like it's almost like when we talk about people worried about failing, you should, you should, if you think about this stuff, you should just see if you can fail somehow and gain nothing from something not going the way you wanted it to go. <laughs> go and deliberately try and fail at something. You know what I mean? And see if you don't get something. And the problem is you just bloody end up keep getting something out of it. Yeah. There we go. Well, I need a pee. So let's move on to the next episode.